Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. And ladies and gentlemen, I am like beyond excited for today's episode. And I am I am aware. I'm like self-conscious. Like I'm a very excitable person. And so most episodes, I'm like, that was like incredible. I loved it. Like I always go upstairs after recording one and tell my wife like, that was the best one yet. And now it's a joke in our household. So every time I record one, she's like, was that the best one yet? And I'm like, oh my gosh, it totally was. Um, all that being said and being self-aware about that, I'm, you know, excited, optimistic, um, kind of like a golden retriever-esque, right? This episode is really, really good. Like it just really is. Um, we're sitting down talking with Samantha Pruitt. Samantha is an incredible athlete. I've had the privilege of racing with her um, in the past, and she's really inspiring. Uh, she does all sorts of different stuff. You, you need to go follow her on Instagram right away, Samantha Pruitt. Um, she is the host of the Endurance Town USA podcast, um, which is just totally in line with everything you know i enjoy about adventure and endurance challenges and just putting yourself out there but but the first 30 minutes of talking with samantha we just really dove deep into like the mindset of adventure and pushing yourself and pushing your possibilities in your own life and what it's like to to go after it, you know, what it's like to go after these things that you're so passionate about and what stops people and what, what motivates people and, and how you get through it. And she tells it through her own story, which is really inspiring. Um, but man, I just, I just really enjoy talking with her and, you know, that's the first 30 minutes. The second half of the episode is all about this really cool event. She just, uh, participated in, in Australia called a thousand miles to light in which um, she was on a team of four runners from the USA and they kind of competed against four runners from Australia to run uh, a thousand miles. And so each person was responsible for 250 miles. They were co-ed teams. Um, just sounds like a very unique event. And in the unique times we live in and the circumstances we live in, it just got even more you know kind of uh complicated but complicated in a way that made it fascinating so uh it's just a great story i'm so excited to talk with samantha uh can't wait to share the episode so let's just get right into the podcast uh i am honored and privileged to bring you episode number 268 of the like a bigfoot podcast with samantha pruitt All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am beyond excited. Uh, I'm sitting here with Samantha Pruitt. Um, she is the host of the Endurance Town USA podcast and just an amazing athlete. I had the experience of running uh, my very first Deseret stage race with her. Yes. And I am so excited. You just got done doing this amazing, like crazy, mind-blowing event that I want to hear all about called A Thousand Miles to Light. 
Um, Sounds good. But I wanted to start with this, Samantha, because I don't even know if you realize this. I had like that first year of running desert outs. I had this, I had a moment, like everyone has a moment in these races, multiple you know, moments, multiple <laughs> moments, then tears like break down. But I had like an, uh, like, it was almost like an emotional breakthrough moment. Mm. And literally probably like five minutes later, if not even five minutes, I saw you Mm-hmm. And I just was like, I have to give someone a hug. And I gave you a <laughs> hug. And I'm like, late, like in retrospect, I'm like, that was probably really weird and creepy <laughs> in the middle of the Not desert. Really. But really. I was like, I was just having that moment. And so I wanted to ask you what you think about this. Um, I love what it. is it about these like really tough endurance challenges or difficult events that like open someone up for like an emotional breakthrough kind of deal? Yeah. Yeah. I call it a peeling back of the layers. So I believe with the miles and the time and the suffering that happens because, you know, it ebbs and flows, right? Like it's a roller coaster a little bit. It's one of the reasons that we're so into it is because it's so unknown and unpredictable, but over the course of the miles, the time, the suffering, we peel back layers of ourselves. That's what I believe. And so you slowly expose more and more of your true self your true authentic nature, like down into the, you know, soul level. And so you're more open to feeling emotions, to having clearer thoughts about the world and yourself. You're more like exposed, if you will, to being just, uh, yeah, more yourself, but also more not vulnerable, right. But really powerful, because when we are truly ourselves and connected to how we think, how we feel, our values, our purpose, like our mission on this planet, like that's our best self, right? So when we go through these experiences, um, ultra running or ultra adventure or really just outrageous adventures where they really tax us mentally, physically, emotionally, those layers are peeled back. And then we're just open to that feeling. So I'm curious for you, when you had that breakthrough moment, and then we came across each other and we had our hug out there, you must've been in the middle of some deep stuff. Like you were processing something. Yeah. Right. I was processing a loss that I've been dealing with for like seven years at that point. Uh, Or I guess I should say, I don't know, like, I guess not dealing with, but like, you know, it was something I, I I feel like I hadn't dealt with. I hadn't like given myself that time. And so it's funny that you mentioned just the time and the miles because Mm. I feel like that was it. It was just time to myself. And I was being really intentional. Like this is, I'm doing this today. Like I'm going to try to like emotionally process this. Yeah. A big part of it too, for me and what I've seen in other humans that I've done these things with is the solitude. So sometimes we do these events or these adventures or experiences with others around us. And that's completely different experience than we're, when we're willing to trudge through the the situation, the experience, the opportunity by ourselves. I'm very into that um, personal exploration component of this and having the deep conversations with myself and allowing my emotions in my mind to kind of run free and not have some other person talking to me or another outside experience kind of influence that. I love that long stretches of nothingness where it's just you out in nature yeah. Doing you moving forward, completely self-propelled at your own accord and just allowing 
what will happen to happen. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think it's funny because I, I do enjoy the community aspect of ultra running and stuff. Like that's one of my favorite things is the community you surround yourself with the peeps. Yeah. But I also, I do, I appreciate the same thing. Like I need that time to myself, you know, to go out and do these things. Yeah. Yeah. I love the people at the front and the back. And I love like, um, having a little bit of exchange maybe in the middle, but I'm a super minimalist in that way. So like I've run hundred milers where I like don't even stop at aid stations and I just <laughs> keep going and I don't make eye contact with people. Cause I'm like wanting to have that yeah. really deep conversation with myself. And then sometimes I've done it differently. Right. It just kind of depends on where you're at in life at that moment and what you need. Yeah, no, exactly. I think that's mm -hmm. so cool. Well, I do. I want to hear about a thousand miles to light, but I thought before that, maybe like just knowing you and your like journey to becoming like an endurance athlete over the last 20 years, like it's a pretty awesome, like inspiring story. So I kind of want to hear Thanks. a little bit about that. Sure. So my journey to ultra endurance started as a couch potato. So I was one of those people. Um, and I really didn't find endurance sports or even athletics or a healthy lifestyle until I was almost 30. So I didn't have really those opportunities or that kind of mentoring or role modeling for me. So, um, I found it later in life. I ended up having a health crisis in my late 20s that really was sort of a catalyst for change for me. Um, I got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, but along the process of getting really sick and being out of shape and making unhealthy lifestyle choices, I was kind of burying myself in misery. So I had um, mental and emotional health issues as well as physical health issues. So it all kind of came to a head in my late 20s. Um, I finally did get diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, but all of these other things were sort of layered on top of it and yeah. it created quite a bit of chaos for me. So when I found something incredibly simple that's called holistic health or natural healing or whatever you want to call it, I found that as kind of my pathway through the autoimmune disease. I discovered exercise and nutrition and stress reduction were real things that like you could go and do, and it really didn't cost a lot of money. It was just really about changing your lifestyle. So I chose that path for myself and that's how I healed my brain and my body. And ultimately in that discovery, I found exercise and then endurance sports. And it, tra it literally transformed every aspect of my life. You know, I, I changed professions. Um, I lost 50 pounds. I changed my whole way of operating in the world uh, with my family, with my loved ones, with my career path, and, you know, ultimately with myself. And so that's the journey. And it took them, it took a minute. It was a ton of work, by the way, yeah. I did it all naturally, but it was worth it. Right. And in that process, I discovered my best body and my best life. And I just keep doing it now. Yeah. Cause I'm hooked. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It's the whole like momentum thing, right? Like if you yeah. try to go out and push a car, like yeah. the first 10 seconds of pushing that car is really going to be hard. But then once it starts rolling, you're like, holy crap, I'm, I'm moving a car now. I don't know. I'm yeah. going back to high school football. Push a car. <laughs> That's like a thing you do. Um, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you, though, like along that, was there do you was there any specific moment that kind of like stands out as that realization of, oh, when you do healthy acts, you feel better, like because, mm. you know, you when you get into a routine that's not super healthy, you just, you get used to it and you don't realize that it's making you not feel the, the greatest, you know? 
Yeah. Unfortunately for me, you know, it got pretty bad to the point where I was, I was barely functioning on a daily basis. Like, I mean, I was like sleeping a lot and felt, just felt horrible. And I had a moment that's crystal clear to me where I was basically sitting on the toilet and um, I was pretty sick at that time. Cause a lot of my stuff was around digestion and bowels mm-hmm. and all that kind of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought I was going to die. I mean, I was not even 30 and I thought this is what my life is. And basically Western medical doctors had told me, just get used to it, live with it. This is how it is. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, this is how it's going down. No. And I thought there must be something wrong with me that they just can't find or discover. So that moment was pretty hardcore look at my reality and the choices I'd made up until that point. And um, that was the tipping point for me. I was like, I had a young child. I was married. You know, I had a good job. Like, Like there was a lot of good things in my life at that time. And I was still miserable, depressed, overweight and all the crap. So I said, screw that. I'm not going to die. I know this is not the kind of lifestyle I'm going to be leading for people that I care about or myself. I'm worth more. They're worth more. So I'm going to start making changes. Um, The funny thing is when I discovered endurance sports, so before we even went to ultra, right? No, it was awful. It was hard. It sucked. Like I remember running my first 5k and thinking I was literally going to die. It was miserable. Who does this shit? Why am I even continuing to do this? Like it was not a joy fast at all, but I did also (laughs) discover when I crossed my first finish line, I I was no longer the same human being as the female mother, wife, all the things that started that race. So the person who was at the starting line was not the same person who crossed the finish line. And that just blew my brain. So even though there was a ton of suffering in the middle, you know, even at the 5k distance at that time, that was very challenging for me. When I got to that finish line and crossed, I was like, damn, what? (laughs) Right. So that's how it all begins for those endurance people out there. They can all relate to us. Everybody's had that moment in the first race or whatever race it was where they're like, what just happened? Who am I? I think that's like, dude, that is like one of the things that just brings you back and back and keep doing events because you're right. You're, you're never the same, you know, you do something hard and like, you're going to be changed in some way. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I feel so strongly. I mean, I've never been a fast runner anyway. I've always been this sort of mid pack or like just finish it and try not to die sort of athlete. Um, and as I age, of course I get slower. So that's even more of a reality, but, um, I don't, I went through a period of time when I was doing endurance sports where I tried to get faster and I tried to reach some other bigger goals. And that's a whole other story, but, um, it took a lot of the joy out of it for me. Yeah. And so I find for me personally, in just showing the hell up, being willing and, you know, daring greatly to even be there and invest in the training, the time and all this stuff, and then being open to what might happen rather than trying to control all the things and have it go a certain way and have this expectation by being open to the possibilities of anything happening. I have a much more rich experience and that's what I'm about for this lifetime that I get this one lifetime. Oh, you're the best. You're preaching in the choir here. I don't even, I don't wear a watch <laughs> or anything. I'm like, I don't want to know. Let's yeah. just go I'll out get there and see when what I get happens. There. I'll, yeah, I'll go off of how I feel, you know, and all that stuff. I love that. What, um, what do you think? So the, what you described where it's like, Hey, you just got to get used to this. Like so mm-hmm. many people 
would go that route. You're just like, I guess this is me now, you know, mm-hmm. what, what yeah. is it? This is me, is miserable me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What so is I it, have though? some pretty strong feelings about what I think that's about. Cause now I've like coached hundreds of people yeah. and worked with okay. people on a bigger scale and kind of in this space and in the business world and stuff is I believe there's a couple of things going on. And I also obviously have these things. Um, I'm not worthy. So people aren't willing to invest in themselves. I call it self-investment because they don't actually feel they deserve it, Mm. which seems ridiculous, but I think it's incredibly common and most of us aren't really willing to admit. So feeling unworthy of a better life, a better body, a better job, a better, all the things, better relationships. Um, I see that a lot and I hear that a lot. And then another thing is people are afraid and the fear can be of success or failure. Yeah. So not just fear of failing, but fear of success. So God forbid I actually do something and crush it or that I'm good at this or that I really excel and people recognize that, or I have to then own that new way of being in the world. So I see a lot of resistance around that. Is that almost like a fear of change too? Cause it's like, if I'm successful at this thing that I want to do, and I want to try it, but I'm successful at it. Now my life has changed in some way that I don't know how it's going to change, you know? (laughs) So it's like that unknown fear of like change. But if I keep doing the same stuff that I'm doing every day, like I know where that's, I know what that's like. I know where that leads. Yeah. Yeah. The comfort zone. Right. Yeah. Um, Part of that is, you know, how other people perceive you and your identity in the world or your ego, whatever you want to call it, Um, how you not only label yourself and put yourself into the world, but how other people send you those messages, you know, parents, spouses, friends, community, all the things. Um, A lot of people bump up against those things, right? Well, I couldn't, a lot of people have said to me, I could never be a runner or I could never do what you do. And I go, what in the hell are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I'm basically a human being. Yeah. Okay. I happen to be a female human being and I happen to be 52 years old. So I'm pretty sure most of you can do whatever I'm doing because there's nothing special going on here, you know, (laughs) and why the hell not? So then when you start to have those conversations, they have to sort of look in the mirror and go, damn, she might be right. Maybe I should try it. And then that's a little scary because they could fail. They could succeed, you know, and again, Am I worthy of that self-investment, the time, the energy, the resources it would go into setting a big goal, committing to it, doing the work, and then showing up to see what happens? Yeah. Well, so so I always call it this, like you talked about like almost like a self-reflection when you got all that news. Um, and I always call it like the clear the mirror moment. I don't know why. Mm. I don't know how I came. I don't know. I don't even know I, like how I came up with it, but it's I the like idea it. of like you for so so often we never actually like look at ourselves with a clear vision or a clear mirror quote unquote but then you get the moment where all of a sudden your mirror you like wiped the mirror and then it's clear and you're like whoa this is me like what i did not know that and and so you you talk about like i do that self-reflection or i did that self-reflection and then it pushed you into this new kind of lifestyle what, what is it? I mean, if you can pinpoint, like, what is it about you that made you actually go and and make that change? Whereas some mm-hmm. people may not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, so there's a couple of different things. One is, um, like I mentioned, like I, I had a family, I had a young child, like I yeah. had 
even if I felt maybe I wasn't worthy or I didn't have clarity around what my potential was, I definitely felt that those I loved deserved more and deserved better, right? So sometimes, many times, and I believe this about coaching too, um, you need another human to believe in you more than you believe in yourself. Yeah. And sometimes you need them to believe double, like good coaches believe 200% in you and will invest in your success because you're not there yet. You need someone to help you see what is possible. And so someone else investing in you and seeing your value and your worth sometimes is what carries you through to making the changes and that are required and making the commitment to ultimately yourself and them. And then, and then as things go, you kind of work your way out of the misery into yeah. a new path. You start to believe in yourself more. You start to feel better. You start to see what is possible. Um, but initially, ooh, it's pretty tough to do. You know, I mean, I remember walking in the gym for the first time, 50 pounds overweight with baggy sweats on the whole thing, like yeah. just covered up and miserable and nobody look at me and all the stuff. How do you use a freaking this equipment? It's embarrassing. You know, I remember all that stuff. Um, many of us have been there. And so there had to be a greater why for me yeah. than me just doing it for myself. I love that. And, you know, it's like the way people who people like, I don't know the way I, I see my kids look up to me, mm. it makes me want to be better. And in the yes. moments where I'm not like, which I've had many, <laughs> many yeah, you're human. as a parent. Um, but I, I, it's, it's good to stay conscious of that because it's yeah. like the way they are looking up to you, you need to live up to those ideals too, you know, and yeah, especially yeah. with a health thing, it's like, you know, you're probably like, I want to be around and I want to like, you know, be a part of your life in an active way, you know. And if you don't have kids, you know, you, you mentor people, yeah. you have um, coworkers, you have yeah. other family members. There's so many people you don't really know how many people you influence until you start doing it. Yeah. And then the feedback loop starts happening, you know, and all of those people that you could potentially be a leader in their life or mentor them in some way or have some kind of positive impact are freaking worth it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, I love that. I, so to get back to like you starting to become an endurance racer when, so you kind of become hooked because yep. what you said was you're a different person at the end of every race, which is so mm -hmm. true. And I love that. Cause I never thought about it that way, but I've thought about it with big races, but it's with any of them, you know, you're, any, anything. Yeah, anything. And so you start doing that. And then, and then there's a moment though, where you, is there a moment where you just sign up for something that you're like, that is so far out there, like an mm -hmm. ultra that's so far out to like, even <laughs> think about. Like, did that happen? Yeah. Oh, dude, there was lots of those moments because <laughs> the progression was I didn't die in the 5K, even though I wanted to many times yeah. just, you know, get picked up by a taxi cab and yeah. make myself go home. Yeah. Um, and then I worked my way through triathlon. So I started doing triathlon, but I didn't know how to swim and I didn't even own a bike. Right. So then it was like a triathlon. That yeah. looks kind of fun. Right. So then I, I chipped away at that whole <laughs> learn to swim, yeah. you know, ride a bike, whatever. And then I worked my way all the way up to Ironman which I thought was the most insane thing I could possibly ever imagine was doing 140.6 mile triathlon, which it was at that That's moment in my life, it was next level <laughs> insane. Yeah. And I didn't die during that moment either. Right. Like I survived. So all the things, so like there's this gradual process to what I call becoming. 
So we're always becoming, I hope we are, um, as we evolve through life. We're always growing, testing, expanding our limits and evolving in all these different capacities, mentally, physically. So worked my way up to Ironman. And then that same year I was racing Ironman, I met a couple friends that were into trail running, some new friends. And I was like, trail running? Well, I kept getting injured road running. Yeah. Because I was still kind of, you know, this clumpy sort of trying to figure it out um, gal. And so I decided, well, let me try and run in the dirt. Maybe that's going to be better. So that's why I found trail running. And then through that gateway drug, <laughs> I found ultra running. So one of the guys who was my mentor at in trail running, he's like, oh, you did Ironman. You should definitely do a 50 miler. I was like, what the heck? That's even a thing somebody runs 50 miles like it's completely ludicrous he's like oh no i've run 100 milers and i was like my brain was literally exploding like, what? excuse me you know <laughs> yeah and this guy was in his 60s beautiful beautiful one of the most beautiful humans in the world so he was kind of exposing me through his storytelling on our trail runs about 100 mile races and 50 mile races and other things and i was like huh well, I don't know if I can learn, you know, it might take me however many years or whatever the thing is. And he's like, just show up every weekend, trail run with me, and then we'll sign up for a 50 miler. So I made a commitment to myself to, to give that a spin. Yeah. And so that's how I found like, okay, what's next? And then to the yeah. 50 miler, right? Didn't die, had a horrible experience. Anyway, still loved it. You know what I mean? Like, you oh, know what I'm it's the best. No one, there it, were moments in it that were great, but they were fleeting. Most of it was pretty awful. Yeah. But, I was still crossed the finish line, a different human being than the person who started the race. Yeah, it's like, so how I'm still can on the not, same path. Yeah, You're on the same path. Not in one of those. That's crazy. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's like, it's horrible. It's hard, but that's why I like it. Yeah. And there are parts of it that aren't horrible. We don't want to scare people and be like, it's a total no. suffer fast. And it's all about the grind Yeah, because I have a whole philosophy about like grinding versus thriving. Um, you know, in the like training and the learning and the exploring about, you know, yourself, your physical body, and like anytime you, you get a challenge, whatever the challenge is, you learn so much about yourself and about other people and about new things. That's very exciting to me. Like I loved yeah. figuring stuff out through trial and error. Um, how was I going to do this? And then maybe how could I do it a little bit better or differently or whatever? Yeah. Um, and I just... I like that growth trajectory. I like that growth process. And even at the end of the race, some of them, you know, didn't like I would DNF or I wouldn't finish or it would be a disaster and others would be amazing. Like I would just go out there and crush it. Not for any good damn reason, by the way, yeah. sort of randomly. Like I couldn't really predict. It wasn't like, oh, I had the best coach and I did all my training right. No, that's not at all how it has gone for me. Like I've had those um, experiences where I really doubled down on training and committed to doing everything quote unquote perfect and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And then show up in the race was a complete disaster. Yeah. yeah. And then the opposite showing up at a race shouldn't even be there. No right. Being there crushed it. Yeah. So, I know. Hey, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I want to hear real quick about grinding versus thriving. And then we'll get into, uh, your yeah. recent big event. Yeah. So I lived most of the first you know, 30 plus years of my life grinding. And even I would say 45 to 50 years, I didn't really make a major change around my mindset around that until I was almost 50. And then definitely 50 on, I have a completely different perspective. Um, because like I've owned my own businesses, I've been self-employed a lot. Um, I've done a lot of big 
things, not just in the physical realm, but also in the business world and yeah. um, personal projects and stuff like that. So, you know, the work ethic, do the work, do the work, do the work, put in the time, put in the time, all that kind of stuff. That's what I call grinding. And I'm not saying that there isn't, that the work isn't required. To be clear, it's work. Like if you have a goal and you want to achieve something big and audacious for yourself, you got to do the work. Yeah. But you also need to do it and not compromise your health, compromise your family, compromise your relationships. Um, you know, there's a balance to life. And so in grinding, a lot of times there's a philosophy out there that just work harder than the other guy, put in more time, put in more effort, everything will pay off. I personally have experienced that that is not the case yeah. because I've done those things mm -hmm. and they didn't pay off. So it's not always that more time, more money, more effort, more sweat, more grit are going to be where the wins are. Sometimes you have to stay, step back and take a breath. You have to have a bigger overview perspective or a different philosophy about how you approach um, a big goal or a big project. I prefer in my life now that they're more values-based. So if I'm not in the game, whatever it may be, and, and leading that from a values position, my personal values, yeah. um, then I'm in the wrong place. I'm on the wrong team. I'm in the wrong place, chasing the wrong goals. Yeah. And I need to remove myself from that situation. So if I am thriving, then yeah, I might still be working hard and committing big time, effort, energy, taking big risks, but I'm doing it from a different place that brings me great joy. Yeah. And it is from my deepest values and purpose, not just haphazardly working my ass off, trying to chase something that maybe at the end of the day will have no value for me. Yeah. And it's, there's so many people that are out there grinding away. A lot of grinding, grinding going away. on. A lot, a lot of grinding, grinding going, going on. on. <laughs> yep. And I know I, I've totally been there. I I've get done it. it too, for sure. But when you're thriving though, work doesn't seem like, it doesn't feel like work because it's something you're excited about. Yeah. You know, and you're with people also yeah, that you also, care about yeah. who are, you know, like-minded people who share your values. Like it's a very different experience, right. And just pushing the boulder up the hill, just to say you got the boulder to the top yeah. of the hill. Cause that boulder will roll back on you and crush you at yeah. some point. So yeah. what was the point, <laughs> the point of that? You know what I mean? I'd rather well, get to the top and be like, where's all my peeps <laughs> drink a beer Yes, with on top of the boulder. Yeah. Um, no. And that's funny. Cause I think I, obviously we mentioned at the beginning, just desert rats. And I, you mentioned when, when we started uh, zooming, you're like, yeah, you really like that race a lot. And I'm like, I do. And I think that is interesting because I do think when you're out there surrounded by a community that is that passionate about whatever it is, you know, obviously like adventure ultra running in that case, it mm -hmm. doesn't, it's hard. It's, it feels hard and it's rough and it's hard and it's tough and all that, but it does feel like thriving. Like you're like, this is where, where, where else would I rather be right now? You know? Yes, exactly. And that is like the secret sauce. Yeah. Right. So I've been in those moments, you've been in those moments where we're like, there's nowhere else I'd rather be than this complete shit show right now in the middle of this, like I'm all up about it and yeah. in it and loving every minute of it. Yeah. Um, Desert Rats is a special race because of the humans and uh, the humans are amazing there. The people that put on the race, the people that show up to that race are like yeah. legit quality human beings. And then where you're at is one of the most beautiful places in the United States of America. And yeah. most people will never see it. Yeah. No. And you get there on your own two feet. It's and there's, so cool. there's plenty of those opportunities out there for people. I don't, 
you know, I mean, more people are outdoors now because of the pandemic, which I think is amazing. And we yeah. need to keep growing that movement. Yeah. Um, but there's still a lot of fear around being in the outdoors, around exploring an adventure, around being by yourself yeah. or putting yourself out there in some um, greater capacity. And, you know, I want to help just like you do help people navigate that and move past those fears. A lot of times they're not warranted. They aren't. I've seen one bear this whole time. <laughs> one. And it was in oh, Wisconsin. Oh, I've seen way more bears than that. But oh, yeah, okay. they didn't chase me and try and get me. <laughs> no, it, it ran away from me. I was like, yep. come on, bear. What's up? You're supposed to be scary. No, it was kind of scary. Yeah. But it was in West. Like, I've just, when I was in Virginia starting off, I thought I'd see bears every day running through the woods. And I oh, think people come in with that mindset of like, there are all these dangers in the outdoors and I'm going to run into all of them all the time. Yeah. And you just yeah. realize like, that's not the case and you can be prepared and be smart just in case you do, you know? Exactly. But exactly. I, I do want to hear about a thousand miles to light. I followed yes. along on the journey, um, Thank you. which was awesome. So basically, well, you can, why don't you explain the premise? It was really cool. Yeah. So a thousand miles to light um, it just happened. And I just have been back now. I don't know, a couple weeks, maybe not even a couple weeks. Um, the project a thousand miles to light was that two teams, a four person, Australian team and a four person, American team, two females, two males on each team would go to Australia. We were basically going to run a thousand miles across Australia and compete quote unquote. Yeah. Um, by running relay style, that thousand miles. So we would run each one of us taking a turn in a relay style fashion, 5k, 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 literally changing out male, female, male, female, male, female, Australians against us, uh, until we both completed a thousand miles. So 2000 miles total, a thousand miles per team. And we were going to do it, um, in 10 days as we went through Aboriginal community and through the bush and over these mountains and ultimately to the ocean so we were going to have the australian army supporting us for the project and um, additionally a movie was being made there's a lot of things going on in this project as we raised money for reach out australia and that is youth mental health um, that's an organization a nonprofit in australia that provides mental health services for youth Currently, unfortunately, um, with the pandemic, the number one cause of death in the 12 to 18-year-olds in Australia is suicide. And that's very, very alarming. I don't know what the numbers are in America because we're not telling that story. Um, I believe it's probably very similar and it, yeah. people would be very alarmed if they knew how bad it was. So we were raising money for that, making a movie. And by the way, let's run a thousand miles. A lot of stuff going on and compete. <laughs> and I said, hell yes. Dean Carnassus calls me up and he's like, Hey, you want to be on this team? I'm like, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, it sounds awful. It sounds ludicrous. I love the cause. I yeah. Like what, what got you involved in this? Yeah. So a big reason was the cause, um, mental health. And then I definitely wanted to go to Australia and run. So I needed to run 250 miles and so did my three other teammates. So um, each person, all eight athletes had to run 250 miles over the course of 10 days. I'd never done anything like that in my life. So it sounded like a grand idea, right? <laughs> yeah, of course, <laughs> obviously. Totally, totally. So I said, hell yes. And then um, off we went. It did get um, 
pretty complicated out of the gate. So like I said, there was a movie being made. Um, we were raising funds for mental health in Australia, reach out. And um, there was these two teams. So because the team USA was coming, uh, you know, it's still a pandemic, as we know, COVID yeah. has not disappeared yet. And we were leaving our country and going to another. There was a ton of things that had to be done in order for us to get permission to do that. Um, and we had to full, follow a lot of rules, regulations and um, protocols. Uh, all of us were vaccinated and, you know, ready to be there. But we did still need to quarantine. Yeah. So for 14 days, each one of us was in isolation by ourselves in quarantine, it locked in a room, in a hotel room. Yeah. It was so bizarre. Uh, never done anything like that in my life, too. None of us have. You know, it's just a bizarre thing that's going on in the world right now. So uh, we all did that. And then um, I will say, because that experience, here we are doing this big audacious race, right? We're going to run a thousand miles relay yeah. style. Nothing, nothing like that had ever has ever been done either. Uh, and then we're going to do it after we've been in isolation for 14 days. That's what I wanted to ask. That's so Just weird because it's going not, from being completely by yourself to being surrounded by people for 10 days. Yeah. And a big part of the challenge of being in that isolated quarantine was we didn't have any control over our food. So we had to eat what was given to us by the hotel catering, um, which is not really athletic food that any of us would be eating before the biggest race of our life. Yeah, but we yeah. couldn't leave the room and we could not open a window and we could not um, have any contact with another human being. So psychologically, emotionally, and physically, it was incredibly challenging. Now, we were all lucky that we got um, treadmills in our room. And then I got one kettlebell and a yoga mat. So for two weeks, that is the kind of workouts I needed to, you know, pull out of my hat was basically do a lot of treadmill running and use this kettlebell, which was kind of hilarious. I came up with a bunch of weird things to do. And then my um, other teammates, the same, because, you know, we wanted to be it, as fit as possible going into this because it was going to be physically demanding. But I would say what ended up being um, a bigger challenge for most of us was the psychological aspect. Yeah. And it was it was really interesting. Um, we learned a lot about ourselves and about one another and about the world. <laughs> yeah. And then we came out of that starving to death for real food literally we were just like give us some real food how quickly can we get like vegetables and you know things to start getting back on track with our nutrition um we had a couple of days that we were out of that and in transition but because covid had basically locked down almost all of australia mm. um we were still in isolation we were just uh, taken to the race director's house luckily he was willing to house us and had capacity for that uh, but we couldn't go out in the world and do anything normal. We just basically hung out there, um, slept, ate, and then got ready for the race. Well, while we were in isolation, um, the whole you know project pivoted, and it it had to out of necessity, obviously. Yeah. But we were no longer no longer able to run across the country and through these different states or territories because of the pandemic. It was yeah. too much risk on um, humanity. Because you were going to run from the outback to the ocean essentially, right? Correct. Correct. And we had planned to visit all these small, you know, communities and learn about the culture of the country and really have some great conversations and some great interaction with, you know, the locals in Aboriginal tribes and in just in the country as a whole in terms of what's going on. 
Yeah. Um, and, but none of that could happen. It was too risky. And of course we, we didn't, you know, completely agree with all of that stuff, but what ended up happening then is because the Australian army was a critical player in helping us, you know, make the race happen to begin with, they continued to support the project. They also felt passionate about our cause and what we were doing. So they were willing to host us on a military base out in the middle of nowhere, Singleton, um, military base, which is where the infantry is for the army and allow us to run still within our bubble and, you know, relatively contained to what we were doing and who we were interacting with, but, um, on the base rather than across the country. Wow. So the race became very different and the format changed. The cause did not change in our, you know, reason for being there, but it really created a much more challenging situation than any of us ever would have imagined just because of the whole dynamic, as you can imagine, it was pretty complex. Yeah. So it's interesting because all of a sudden your event, which was, you know, to raise kind of money and awareness for like a mental health crisis, right? Yes. Now it became like a really mental event. Like you're probably in your own head in isolation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just imagining you with the kettlebell, but it's like Tom Hanks's volleyball, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, totally. But, but, you know, you're, so you're probably like in your own head and, and stuff in that, but then also just running these, what'd you say? Like a five, five K loop over and over again. Yes. Because the format was relay style and it was intended to be 5k, you know, stints or legs yeah. for each athlete. We continued with that model, wow. but, um, we were on the military base. So we were only allowed to run from sunrise to sunset, which meant we had to sort of change up how we did it. So yeah. basically we ran every day, a different 5k loop. So there were 10 days, 10 5k loops that the military put together for us, the courses. And so we would go out there each day and it was a race. So there was a start line, there was a finish line. It was being timed. Um, all of the things that you would normally expect to see in a race, except we were running in 5k circles doing wow. this race and taking turns. Wow. And so because the format was, like that, you know, people were really pushing themselves, trying to run faster, but then you'd only get a very short recovery in between your next 5k lap because we were doing it relay style. Yeah. So it just, it was very, it took some getting used to, I would say the first two or three days. And by the end of the third day, everybody was pretty stressed out and exhausted. Yeah. It took some getting used to the format, um, all the rules that we had to abide by and just being in an environment that was so foreign to us, you know, we're not in the military and um, we all have great respect for the military, of course, and great appreciation for them, you know, helping us get this thing done, but it still added, um, a lot of layers and then, you know, throw on top of that, that a film is being made while we're doing yeah. this. Yeah. Wow. And we didn't really know each other. So yeah. we're strangers to be clear. Like I knew two of my, um, teammates, Shan Riggs and, um, Dean Carnassus. I didn't know Katie Visco. She's freaking amazing. And I love her. She's like a sister to me now, Yeah. but I didn't know any of the other people. I mean, it wasn't like we'd ever met or we had relationships. We yeah. just were all thrown into this, um, Petri dish, this human experiment. And we were all doing our best to see our way, you know, through it and to continue to not only perform athletically, but to stay emotionally and mentally intact and, you know, stay on, on task with all the moving parts and pieces. 
yeah, yeah, definitely a massive challenge. That's fascinating. Like the whole event sounds fascinating. So how did you like speak, speaking to like kind of the power of teams? And it's just funny when you're, you're on a team that is somewhat not thrown together, but like you just said, you, you don't really, kind of you, was. Don't, you don't know everybody. Right. So how yeah. do you pull each other along? Like, how do you come together as a team? Yeah, it was really fascinating to me. So I was the captain of the um, U.S. team. Nice. It was really fascinating to me to see the difference between the Australian team and the American team. Yeah. So the Australian team, these people are freaking fit as hell, by the way, and so fast and just like crushing all the things. Um, but we didn't know them. You know, Pat Farmer is pretty famous and the other three athletes are really solid athletes. But, you know, we didn't have relationships with them. Um, they got in there and right away they were like, this is a race and we're going to just crush the Americans and we're going to go hard every day and just like they had these very intense goals and they operated from a higher level of intensity than um our usa team yeah. the usa team went in with the intention of we're there for the cause yeah we are there to be united not only with each other and support each other unconditionally you know we got to get to the finish line right we got to survive 10 days and yeah. make a thousand miles happen that's our primary goal our objective um, but we also are really interested in just kind of having this experience together. So we were much more relaxed. Um, our tactic was everybody, you do you. Okay. So Shan Riggs is really fast and he's a super beast. I love the guy. And he just dropped the hammer every day, nonstop. I mean, I don't even know how he performed at that level continuously, but he did. He's a beast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and that's fine. If that's how he wanted to perform and he was doing that for himself, we completely respected that and supported whatever he needed. Yeah. Um, and then, um, Dean, same thing. Like you run your paces, you know, exactly what you're capable of and what you need to be doing. Katie and I, same thing. And so the third day things were getting stressful and hairy, not so much with us, but just kind of the whole environment was really tense and people were just, you know, getting tired and stressed out. So we had a team meeting, on that night because um, we needed to sort of, you know, circle the wagons a little bit and say, Hey, are we still on with our primary objective to be finish this race, do it together and support each other to the best of our abilities for this cause. And if that is the case, let's all again, speak our minds here and make sure that we're on the same page. We respect each other, support each other unconditionally. Yeah. And then let's get clear. What do you need? each of you individually to be successful at this. Yeah. So like I said, what, this is what I need and this is how I'm going to do it. And Shan, what are you going to do? And Dean, what are you going to do? Katie, what are you going to do? And then all of us committed at that moment forward to do everything in our power to make sure our teammates had what they needed and they felt the support that they needed to reach the objective. That's period. awesome. Yeah. And everything else, like who cares that there's a movie being made? We have no control over that. It has nothing to do with us. We can't do anything about what the military you know, all their rules and regulations. We just have to abide by what's happening. Same with the pandemic, same with this and that. Like, there were so many things out of our control, like yeah. the food that was being fed to us. You know, there were so many things, what time we had to get up and what time we had to go to bed yeah. um, that were out of our control that if we obsessed and focused on those challenging components that we had no control over, it would have buried us. We absolutely yeah. could not have continued to perform and we would not have been our best selves ultimately there for the greater good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and so it's funny, like having those open, honest conversations is how you pull each other along because you know where everybody's at, you know, in their mindset. 
you know, you I have just to keep having them, right? Yeah. Things could change. Yeah. I, for and, example, I got injured pretty early on. So yeah. like my game was starting to change and I was like, Oh hell, like I have a hamstring pull on the freaking fourth day. Like this is ridiculous. I have yeah. six, you know, six and a half more days to go. Yeah. Um, so you have to continue to have the conversation. Circumstances change, but the ultimate, you know, aspect of a team to me is honest communication and then unconditional support, you know, like keep your ego out of it. If you say your objective is to make sure team USA reaches the finish line, then you stay focused on that and you keep your own personal agenda and ego out of it. Yeah. I wanted to ask too, just kind of about the power of like friendly competition you know, mm-hmm. like that's motivating in kind of a different way. And you talked about how the Australian team was, came in with like a, almost like a competitive mindset and stuff like that. Did that help pull you along? I mean, it's 10 days. It's a long time to stay motivated. It's a long time to stay motivated. And the interesting dynamic with this 5k loop scenario was yeah. that we continued <laughs> to run with each other all day long, yeah, literally from anywhere from eight to 12 hours a day. Like they're on the course, we're on the course, going, 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 repeating, 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 right? So there was a lot of interaction. Um, For about the first five days, they kind of did their thing and we kind of did our thing. There wasn't a lot of like um, cohesiveness or conversation or like interaction. It was more like this stoic, you know, deliver the goods. And we were all trying to sort of figure out how to navigate this complex space we were in. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, people started to get tired. Things started to occur. More layers of peeling back, like we discussed earlier, were happening to each of the humans, including the people supporting us. You know, the film crew and the uh, military and the race production crew, including them. You know, they're yeah. on this journey right there with us yeah. in the middle of the frying pan also. Um so around day five, six, uh, we kind of hit this interesting, you know, point where some things were going on, dynamics were changing and it was getting hard for some people to emotionally process. And it was getting physically harder for all of us, of course. So a little bit of like breaking down, but not in a bad way, really, like yeah. I said, that peeling back was happening. And there was a shift where I thought it was amazing. And frankly, it's the best thing that happened during the whole event, as far as I'm concerned, is Team Australia and Team USA came together united. And we decided that, listen, us athletes need to stick together. We're the ones grinding out these miles. And as much as these other people are doing their best to support us, like we've got to support one another. I don't care what the hell team you're from and what country you're from. Like we are totally on this journey together and we better start acting that way because we need each other. Yeah. You know, none of us are good by themselves and none of us will finish this on our own accord. We've got to finish this t- together united as a group. And we made basically a pact that we were all going to finish and we were going to finish together and whatever the hell it took, we were going to support one another. And we just changed the whole vibe of the event for us as the athletes. And it was super powerful. That, so the I competitive mean, piece, yeah. you talked about that because it's true. There was a lot of competition, um, Australia against us, but also we noticed Australia was really pushing Australia. So they were really, you know, dropping the hammer with each other. Like the first um, five days, they four or five days, they ran together side by side, like pushing each other um, to go faster, which was a really interesting dynamic. Team USA, we could care less. We're like, absolutely not. Nobody be pushing me. Listen, I'll push myself. You know, we didn't need that for us. That was not part of our strategy. Yeah. Um, But some of us are more competitive than others just by nature. And I fully respect that. You know, these are athletes. 
um, of all varied levels and everybody has to sort of, you know, have their own experience here. So for many people, the competitive nature of the event is what challenged and pushed them to do better, to compete at a higher level. And, you know, there were even a few moments that it was never men against women, um, but there was definitely a uniting of the females because yeah. we were in a very male dominated space. To be clear, we were on a military base. It was predominantly male. Most of the people around us were male. We had some female support. Um, but here we are as females doing something completely outrageous outside of the box of like what is normal for yeah. women in Australia or America, never mind globally. Yeah. And it became very important to us that um, we support each other as females really were, you know, respecting and supporting one another, but also to kind of show what was possible. So Katie and I are pretty chill, but Greta and Deirdre, Big D are just like super studly athletes and they were just performing at an incredible level. And it was very inspiring yeah. to see that super inspiring. It didn't make me want to go faster to be clear. Okay. But it did make me feel really want proud to keep going. Yeah. To be a female athlete. I know Katie feels the same way. And we, we ended up the four of us just having a really deep level of respect for one another in that way. That's amazing. I, it's just, it's kind of a beautiful thing that you set out to do this, this giant event in the service of positive mental health. And the realization halfway through is, hey, this is really, really hard and we're not going to make it unless we do it together. And Absolutely. All, I mean, ultimately, why are people going through a mental health crisis? Because life is hard and we have felt isolated and we have felt alone at times. Um, and, you know, sometimes the the best way through it really is together, you know, and like really trying to help and support each other. And I just think that's such a cool, like realization to have on this event, you know, it was so, so powerful when we continue to sort of bring it home to again, what's the objective? Why are we here? What's our intention behind this? Yeah. Um, and, and, and we're, we're here to be together in this moment, this unprecedented moment it yeah. will never happen again. And so if we want to convey a message and bring forward a level of inspiration to others who might be watching or listening or find out later, what the hell is that message? And that yeah. message is absolutely you can do nothing on your own. I don't care yeah. who you are. You need others to do it. And none of us are below, you know, it's not it's not a matter of um, pride or a matter of privilege that you maybe don't need others or you, you know, you got this and you can handle it and all that kind of jazz. Every single person that I know during the pandemic has in some way been challenged with their emotional or mental health. Yeah. Also, we have never been in this kind of poor physical health globally ever that we are now at this exact moment. So a combination of those things, mental and emotional health and physical health, like unprecedented crisis, right? Yeah. So if we are trying to come together in a united way globally and say something powerful that can be a catalyst for change or empowerment there, what the hell is that message? And we have to be acting from that place and operating from that place ourselves, <laughs> if we think we're going to be able to inspire others, we surely better be doing it with ourselves and each yeah. other right here, right now in this moment. 
That's amazing. Samantha, you're amazing. I You're amazing. You're amazing. No. <laughs> uh <laughs> I could honestly talk to you for hours and hours. So we'll have to I I would love to do a part 2 at some point. And I also want to yeah. suggest people go uh you know start downloading some episodes of Endurance Town USA. Um and I know you said you told me before we started when you're uh quarantining in australia you recorded a whole bunch of episodes so they have a lot to look forward I to i did i did we've got some cool stuff um coming back up and also follow me the samantha pruitt yes. on instagram yes um check it out i've posted a lot of emotional fitness videos there which is kind of my jam i talk about these this kind of subject matter and things i'm passionate about in a very candid way so i'd love yes. to share that story with people and then just reach out to me you know if you've had some kind of story um that you want to share with me or you need just like someone to you know kind of relate to you in some capacity i'm probably that human and i'm hanging out waiting to hear back from people Heck yeah, that's awesome. I do want to real quick. Can we say hi to Mickey? Because he's our buddy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Mickey is not just our buddy. He is my brother. I love that human being more than the universe. And yes, we can say hi to Mickey. I need, I need to talk to him on the podcast at some point because he's taken me on a few burrow runs and <laughs> it's been amazing. And I almost got my face kicked in by a donkey named Princess. So Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I might have to come to Colorado and do one of those runs with you because it's you know me, wild. I'll do anything once. Yeah, It is I'm wild because now you're running, but you're in no control over anything. And you're like, Oh geez. What is the chaos of this animal? Well, I do that all by myself. I'm running a hundred miler next weekend. And really I barely have control over my own body. So oh, there you I, go. I don't know. I don't know if I can do the donkey thing, but I'll try it. I'll what try 100 it. miler is that? Stagecoach 100 from okay. Flagstaff to the Grand Canyon. What? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Hopefully it cools off a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not holding my breath for that, but I'll survive it because that's what I do. I'd show up and I get shit done. Awesome. Well, I'll be rooting <laughs> you on. I'll be rooting you on. We'll talk Thanks, again Chris. at some point, Samantha. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, darling. So good to see you again. And I'm yeah. sure we will spend more time together at some moment for sure. All righty. That wraps up this week's episode of the show. Uh, thank you so much, Samantha, for coming on. Please go online, follow the Endurance Town USA podcast. Uh, they're Endurance Town USA on Instagram. You can also follow the Samantha Pruitt. She is awesome. She is inspirational. Uh, I really, really, truly appreciated chatting with her because, well, for many reasons. One, that was just an incredible kind of felt like a mind meld of ideas uh, throughout the episode um, because she represents so many things that I find beneficial in endurance, that whole growth mindset. How are you changing? How are you evolving by challenging yourself, by not sitting in the comfort zone, by really, you know, stepping outside of the norm, you know, stepping, stepping into you know, I guess in her analogy towards the end, like stepping into Australia, like a an unknown world, um, you know, and also just in that distance of 250 miles, like unknown whether or not you're going to be able to get it done. Um, I really appreciated that. But I also feel like that first year when we ran Desert Rats together, though it's such a close knit community and there's like, I think there was like 30 people or 28 people running that year. Um I do feel like for whatever reason, I didn't get to a chance to just sit down and chat with her that that year. And I didn't get to know her 
as well as I got to know some of the other people. And when I mentioned at the top of the world, which is kind of what it's called, that's the mo that's the point. Um, there's this point where you can look back on the course on the Cocopelli Trail and you look back and you just see the desert opens up and you see everywhere you have journeyed from and you just see it behind you and it looks jaw-dropping. It's four days in. It's probably like 90 miles into the Cocopelli or 80 miles or something and you just look back and you're like, whoa, look how far I've come and it's hard to describe how I felt in that moment, but because I, I think it was because I felt so many different things, but I looked back and I saw that and I, I, I was, it was a mixture of feeling proud of myself and, and feeling like devastated that, um, the person I lost wasn't able to experience that and never really had a chance to experience what that moment felt like and then this realization like a kind of like a spiritual thought of like well maybe she gets to witness this every day and and she's the lucky one because she gets to see that and man like I just had myself a moment <laughs> you know uh it was it was a breakthrough for me my my life up until that point my thought process was one way and as soon as I hit that point my thought process, my brain changed the other way. And then seeing Samantha up there, I was like, oh my gosh, another human. Like, <laughs> I was so excited to see her. And uh, yeah, so anyways, I just, I'll, that's a moment I'll never ever in a million years forget. So it was, it was so cool. It was awesome. Um, and so to be able to sit down and talk with her and share with you guys this conversation, which hopefully you know, bring some, some sort of positivity to your life. Uh, it just, it was cool. It was really cool. Um, it was a great, great episode of the show. I really, uh, appreciated talking with her and sharing some time. I appreciate you guys listening and yeah, we're going to get back at you next week. I'm recording probably like two or three episodes next week. So I'm really excited and yeah, let's go. This is going to be awesome. See you next week.